also reminds us that God's faithfulness never happens in our timetable, which is kind of the bummer part of life. Because I think there's a part of us, we always just expect that everything that God wants to do, He's going to do it yesterday, right? And the problem with that is, is that God's timetable is different than ours. His plans and His purposes, the things that He's seeking to accomplish functions on a different time schedule than ours. And for most of us, that's pretty disconcerting. God functions on a very different timetable than we do. We want things to happen right now when we want it done. God sees the big picture, though, and Pastor Daniel asks us to remember that today as we study the final days of Israel's wilderness wandering. Israel would have much rather done things in their timing, but as we can still learn today, God brings events around when it will benefit everyone, not just us. If we can exercise patience, we'll see God moving in incredible ways all around us. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, A Look Ahead. Numbers chapter 34, as we continue our study here through the book of Numbers, almost finished with this book, just what? Two more chapters, people are cheering. It's like, we've been in the wilderness too long, Fusco. I'm always amazed when we're finishing a book of the Bible, though. I always kind of expect that Jesus is going to come back before I get finished with it. So I'm always slightly impressed that we get towards the end of the book. The children of Israel are on the edge of the promised land. We keep talking about this because it's amazing to think about how much time elapses in the book of Numbers. But chapter 33 and 34, we took chapter 33 last week. We're going to take chapter 34 this week. They form this little pause where the children of Israel look back in chapter 33, and we looked at it last week. We looked at where they've been, all the different places. And now in chapter 34, they're looking ahead to the promised land. And in a lot of ways, I thought about breaking this thing down. You can call it the boundaries and the boys, because what you have is in the first part of the chapter, you have God is giving them the boundaries of the promised land, and then you have all, who's the leaders of all the tribes, right? So the boundaries and the boys, or the measurements and the men. I had all these different great pastor type of ways to look at the chapter. But really what you find is that in this chapter, as they are looking ahead, God has been telling them I'm going to bring you into this land, and I want to give you the dimensions of the land, and I have people who are going to be your leaders in the midst of this. Now, you might say, okay, so great. So this whole chapter is about the measurements of the land and the men who are going to lead the people. I mean, is there anything more boring than that? Right? You might think that to yourself. Like, what does this have to do with me? Now, listen, and don't miss this, that God promised to give the children of Israel a land when God called Abraham to follow him. So literally, we're talking more than 400 years later, now there's a group of people who are on the edge of the promised land about to walk in, and God's like, yeah, remember that land I promised to you guys? Here's the dimensions that I'm going to give you. And what it reminds us first is that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. 
God is faithful. God called Abraham and he told him he was going to make him a great nation. Now we have a great nation. He told him he was going to bring him into a promised, a special land, a land just for his people. And now they're on the edge and they're about to do that. God is faithful. And it also reminds us that God's faithfulness never happens in our timetable, which is kind of the bummer part of life. Because I think there's a part of us, we always just expect that everything that God wants to do, he's going to do it yesterday, right? And the problem with that is, is that God's timetable is different than ours. His plans and his purposes, the things that he's seeking to accomplish functions on a different time schedule than ours. And for most of us, that's pretty disconcerting. How often do people leave following the Lord Because God did not move in their timetable. And you always wonder if someone just abided a little bit longer, what might God do? And it reminds us that we can be really impatient. That oftentimes, if we're left up to our own devices, we will not allow God to do things in his time because we say, my time is more important. That's a challenging way to start a study, isn't it? Because we're all like that, right? Like God's timing is perfect. Now the time is appointed for them to go on into the promised land. God's been faithful to his promise, but the timing is unique. Abraham didn't see it. Isaac didn't see it. Jacob didn't see it. Jacob's 12 sons didn't see it. Generations lost in the Egyptian slavery didn't see it. Even the people who left Egypt, except for Caleb and Joshua, aren't going to get to live in the promised land that God was going to give them. But now this generation, who we're seeing here in Numbers 34, they are. So let's jump right on in. Look what it says. Numbers chapter 34, picking up in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan to its boundaries. Your southern border shall be the wilderness of Zin, along with the border of Edom. Then your southern border shall extend eastward to the end of the Salt Sea." Your border shall turn from the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, continue to Zin, and be to the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it shall go to Hazar Adar and continue to Asmon. The border shall turn from Asmon to the brook of Egypt, and it shall end at the sea. Verse 6. As for the western border, you shall have the great sea for a border. This shall be your western border. Verse 7, and this shall be your northern border. From the great sea, you shall mark out your borderline to Mount Hor. From Mount Hor, you shall mark out your border to the entrance of Hamath. Then the direction of the border shall be towards Zedad. The border shall proceed to Zephron, and it shall end at Hazar Anon, and then shall be your northern border. Verse 10, you shall mark out your eastern border from Hazar Anon to Sephame. The border shall go down from Sephame to Riblah on the east side of Ain. The border shall go down and reach to the eastern side of the Sea of Chinareth. 
You notice I'm doing this in proper Hebrew with proper Slavic vacation. I've been practicing all day for you all. The border shall go down along the Jordan and it shall end at the salt sea. This shall be your land with its surrounding boundaries. So you notice here that you get the listings of all the boundaries of the land that God has promised them as an inheritance. Notice it says that in verse two. It shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan, to its boundaries. And so this is their inheritance from the Lord. Now, it's amazing that out of all the places that they could have lived, God chose this place. You know, and oftentimes I think we lose it in our culture, the idea of the theology of place. See, God chooses a place for a people to be planted a place for a people to blossom. You've heard the old saying that we should grow where we're planted, right? The idea is that oftentimes in the places that God plants us, that is where God wants to grow us up. Now, I am not a good gardener at all. I do not have a green thumb. I have like a purple thumb. I can grow something if I put a lot of chemicals on it, and then maybe it'll grow, you know? So I'm not a good gardener. But what I do know is that if you're going to transplant something, you can only do that once or twice, and then after a while, the thing just croaks. Because it's not designed to be able to move soil with different pH levels and different amounts of of nutrients. And so the idea is, is that we need to learn how to grow where we're planted. And the Bible gives us a strong theology of place. Now, what's interesting is that modern statistics will tell us that about 7% of the population moves in and out of every community every single year. That's an amazing turnover. Part of it is the blessings of the affluence of our culture. There's roads. You can move somewhere else. You can find an apartment on the internet or whatever. You can find jobs and you get transferred. And that's a newer occurrence to humanity than what they had in the Bible. People did not travel all over the place all the time. It was a rarity. But God wanted to give his people a homeland, a place for them to blossom. And you have to realize that almost the entirety of your Bible, except for certain specific books and sections, all of it happens within these boundaries. Jesus, other than his parents taking him to Egypt when he was a child, spent, it would seem, his entire biblical life in this land. It's amazing. Jesus... The son of God, the perfect human, was not a world traveler, didn't have the internet, couldn't go on Google Earth and see Mount Everest, but he lived a life that was always well-pleasing to the Father. So we have this theology of place. God gives the children of Israel a land. Now, for those of you who like reading your Bible kind of thematically, it's been really commonly said, and when you say thematically, That's an adverb for based on themes. So if you like to read through your Bible in these ways, some scholars would say that you can look at the entire Bible through the lens of God, the people, and the land. There is a God who calls a family to himself and gives them a place to dwell. Now, what's amazing is, is if you take that thematic idea and you place it in your own life, you say that God of the Bible sent Jesus to die and rise again, sent forth his spirit, chose you, And he gave you a place to blossom. He's given you a a land. Maybe it's a townhouse or an apartment. Maybe it's this little place that you stick your pop tent or whatever. But God 
calls a people, and then gives us a place to blossom. It's beautiful. And you can literally, if you read your entire Bible, it begins with God, it ends with God. It, it begin, you, know, you get the idea of the Bible ends with the new Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a running theme all the way through the Bible. And then you have the people of God, whether they were the calling of Abraham and then his family, and then you get into the New Testament, and it's not an ethnic family, but now it's a multi-ethnic family. Anyone who will believe are the people of God. So it's a beautiful way to look at it. Now, as you get into the borders here, what you find is the southern border you get from verses 3 to verse 5. Now, part of the problem, of course, with these borders, as I've said before, is that a lot of these places, we don't know exactly where they are. So you have some ideas. And what you would find is if you would look at this on a map, it would seem that the southern border is not just like a straight line going east to west, but it's kind of on a pretty sharp angle. What we do know, of course, is you notice at the end of verse 3, it shall extend eastward to the Salt Sea. Now, the Salt Sea today we would call what? The Dead Sea. And if you've ever been to Israel, it's really fun. I remember when Lynn and I made our first trip to Israel, and we went to the Dead Sea, and I remember it's so salty that literally you float in the water. Now, my poor bride, because I have the spiritual gift of mischief, I remember I was talking to Lynn. Now, Lynn knew it was called the Salt Sea, but she didn't quite know why. And so I remember I said, sweetie, you should taste the water. And she said, why? I'm like, man, it's the best water. And sure enough, I got my camera out because I, you know, I have the spiritual gift of mischief. And my wife, you just got to pray for her. So sure enough, she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, really, just try it. Don't worry about it. She's like, oh, snapping photos. I'm lucky I'm still alive after that. But literally, it's like, you know, like, you don't go drink ocean water because it tastes nasty. And I'm here to tell you, the Dead Sea, it's just the worst. I mean, it's just, it's so salty. Really, because of the salt, they've been doing so much mining of the minerals in the Dead Sea now. There's all sorts of beauty products because all of the depth of minerals from the Dead Sea because of it's so salty. There's no fish can survive in there either. It's just like, it's really an interesting place. That's still there today. I say all that to say that and tell you a fun story. You can pray for my wife. I'm that kind of a guy. You know, just, it's a great picture though. It really is. I, I wanted to frame it and put it in our house. She wouldn't let me do it. I can't imagine what. So you have the southern border. Now, as you get to verse six, you get the western border and the western border is the great sea. Now, you know what the great sea is? It's the Mediterranean Sea. Why is it called great? Because Italy's right there, of course. (laughs) Sorry. I couldn't resist. The Mediterranean Sea. And so, of course, I mean, Greece is on there as well, for those of you who are Greek. There's lots of countries that are right there. And sure enough, the Mediterranean is the entire western border of the land of Canaan, the promised land that they were to get. Now, it's really, really awesome because sure enough, when Lynn and I went to Israel, we ended up spending two nights in uh, Jaffa. If you remember Jaffa, two biblical things happened in Jaffa. One, it was the place where Jonah, when he was fleeing God's call to go to Nineveh, he went to Jaffa, the port city, and he grabbed a boat to go in the complete opposite direction of the Lord. And then the second thing that happened there, of course, was Peter was called there when he was there at the city of Joppa. And it's beautiful because it's like your classic beach town. You know what I mean? It's this beautiful, beautiful sea, and it's gorgeous, and there's beaches, and it's got all these old 
buildings and walkways, and it's an absolutely beautiful place. And so you look on a map, you see the Mediterranean Sea, like, oh, that was the western border of what God had promised to the children of Israel. Now, verses 7 and 9, we get the northern border. And in a lot of ways, the northern border kind of, if you were to sketch it out on a map, would kind of mirror the southern border as well. It kind of moves on a diagonal. And then by the time you get to verse 10 to 12, you get the eastern border. And so really you have this large landmass. And I think what's the most interesting about it is that if you read your Bible, you find that at its zenith, the children of Israel actually never lived in all of this land. So God promised it to them as an inheritance, but you never find the children of Israel actually taking complete possession of all the land. Now, when we took a look back at the life of the children of Israel, God said, listen, I want you to do this thing. And if you don't do this, there's going to be problems. By the time you get to the book of Joshua and you go forward and you read, of course, Judges and you read First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you read these books, constantly you're finding that the children of Israel are having issues in their land because of unrighteousness. And at the kingdom's greatest under David and Solomon, they only probably dwelt in about 75% of the land by conservative estimates. Now, what does it teach us? Now listen, Jesus said that he came that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly, right? Jesus said that the people of God, in effect, are the kingdom of God. But how many of us are not dwelling in the fullness of the promised land spiritually because we're not being obedient to the things that God has told us. See, God's desire, my friends, is to bless you. God's desire is that you and I can experience all that God is for us in Christ on this side of eternity, but he can't bestow all of his blessings if we are unavailable or unwilling. And so obedience plays a part in our experience of God's blessing. Does that make sense? See, right as you start talking like this in church, people get nervous, like, well, I thought I'm saved by faith apart from works. And listen, you are. Nobody can do works that will cause God to accept you. Nobody gets everything right. And it's not that the Bible is trying to guilt you. The Bible is just being honest about who we are. We don't need the Bible to show us that we get things wrong. We know that we get things wrong. Each one of us already realizes that we don't get everything right. So you don't need the Bible to tell you that you get things wrong. You know it. So salvation comes by faith when you believe in Jesus. But the experience of God's blessing comes when we respond to Jesus and live in such a way that lines up with the word of God. See, when your Bible says be anxious for nothing in everything with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to the Lord and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, right? When it says that, how many of us can say that we have anxiety over nothing? You liars. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But you ask yourself, okay, so it says be anxious for nothing. How does that happen? Through everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And then you start asking, okay, so in some ways my anxiety at my world 
is tied to my prayer life. And you start asking yourself, am I full of anxiety? Yes. Huh? What's my prayer life look like? Well, I don't really have one. Well, maybe that's why. Because when we pray, prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. Prayer is linking up hands with God to get his will done on earth. And all of a sudden we realize when we're praying, not that we need to give God the laundry list, but God is asking us to figure out how to surrender to him, giving the details of our lives. And we start to realize when we pray, God says, look, you prayed for this. This that's happening, it's the answer to your prayer. You told me you wanted to be humble. Well, I'm humbling you. You told me you wanted to learn patience. (laughs) You told me that you want to walk by faith. See, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. See, what prayer does is all of a sudden I start to see the world the way God sees it. I start to see the circumstances of my life the way God sees it. So you get into every area of your life where there's issues or struggles and you start to ask yourself, why am I not experiencing God's blessings? And always you'll be able to deduce it back. In some way, I am not honoring God's word. In some way, I am not putting feet by faith on the message that we've received. You have concerns over your finances. Do a biblical search on what the Bible says about money. And you learn all sorts of stuff. And you're like, wow, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't actually know if I believe that. I would never do that. And you wonder why we have concerns over our finances. You get in every area, relationships, vocation, ideas of rest and relaxation, entertainment. The Bible talks about all this stuff. And so the experience of God's blessing is tied to personal obedience. And we learn this in the life of the children of Israel because God gave them this land. It doesn't say God saying, I might give you this land. He's like, this land is yours, right? It's a done deal. But the children of Israel never get to experience all that God has done for them because they wouldn't be obedient. Now, you can just read it in their Bible and say, oh, it's a bummer for them. But we're part of the people of God, too. And so we have to ask ourselves, say, Holy Spirit, what have you already given me that I have yet to experience because I'm not willing to be obedient? What have you promised me in your word that I have yet to experience because I'm not willing to do what your word asks me to do? And whatever those things are, write them down and then say, God, will you give me the grace to start living obediently, simply obedient in light of your word? Now, I'm here to tell you that when you start to do that kind of stuff, your life starts to change. Because what you realize is that God wants the most beautiful things for our lives. God in Christ has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. But we fail to experience them because we want to be rebellious. It's like with my kids. I love my kids so much. And they're such great kids. But like, when they're not listening, they start to lose things. Not lose them like they don't know where they are. Like lose them like mom and dad take them away. This is real. The Israelites were standing on the precipice of their long-awaited promised land in today's message. But God had a few things to say before they entered. 
Pastor Daniel reminded us today how much God had to give his people and how rebellion caused that to change. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith. In Vancouver, services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will wrap up his series on the book of Numbers by sharing God's vision for the people of Israel. God lays out the new land he had brought them to, reminding them again of his faithfulness. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Preparation. Until then, may God bless.